Choir. If you have your copy of Scripture, find Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. And while you're finding that, I want to remind you, if you're in the room, I hope you already know, if you're watching by live stream or television, I want to make sure you know that this afternoon we're beginning a new form, a fresh expression of church at Mary Mack Hall. It's called Together Church at Mary Mack Hall at 4 o'clock over on Triana Boulevard. This is a, a new form of church for people who have in their families members with special needs. This is for mom and dad and brothers and sisters and everybody, people who have special needs, who love people with special needs. We understand that sometimes families hesitate to come uh, to church with a, a special needs sibling or child. And this is an inclusive, non-judgmental, open, welcoming uh, expression of church. Our own Ed and Sharon Culpepper are going to be leading it. We are partnering with a number of churches in the area. They're going to meet monthly uh, at the beginning at least. At 4 o'clock it begins today, and we would love uh, to have you there. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to begin at verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. God, or excuse me, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. You hear the recurring theme of the house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house. And we are his house. If indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. We are his house if... If we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You heard that recurring theme of the house of God, of course, referring to the church. It points to Jesus as the builder and undisputed head of the house. Today, I want to focus on that last verse. We will be the house as long as we maintain our hope and our confidence. In what is our hope and our confidence? Of course, our hope and confidence are in the Lord Jesus, but we also are to have hope and confidence in the church, or else, if we lose our hope and confidence in the church, we lose the church. In the message, verse 6 reads, if we can only keep a firm grip on this bold confidence, we are the house. If we lose our confidence and our hope, we lose the house. And some have indeed lost hope and confidence in the church with a capital C. I mean the capital C, the international body, family of Christian believers. The church with a lowercase c is the, is the congregation like First Baptist Church of Huntsville. Lots of people have lost hope and confidence in the church and in the local church. And there's, there's reason for that. If you keep up with such things, you know that, that church attendance and participation has been on a steady decline for years. Now, there are exceptions to that, of course, but by and large, churches have seen fewer and fewer participants and attendees uh, every year. And COVID just accelerated that downward trend. It's like a friend of mine who's a pastor said it was like when Katrina blew into New Orleans in 2005. There were people who were happy, content in New Orleans, and then the the hurricane blew through and they were re dislocated. Many of them relocated and dislocated around the country. And, 
And they settled in. Their kids started to school, and they made new friends. And they said, you know, this is nice here. I don't think we'll go back to New Orleans. Some people have gotten kind of settled in. You know, the COVID kept us from meeting for a while, and then people were hesitant to come back, understandably, because of the, the danger of COVID. And there were lots of folks who said, I kind of like having Sunday to myself and watching my favorite church on TV or the Internet and may not come back. Besides that, church is changing. Not just declining in participation, but changing. COVID has changed the church, of course. Technology, the internet, culture is shifting. Granted, in the South, the church may change more slowly. We hold on to traditions steadily here, including the church. But here in the land that I love and call home, change uh, is coming. And so... So there's some who've lost hope and confidence in the church. But we cannot lose hope and we cannot lose confidence. Remember the words of Helen Keller, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless we fail to make the turn. Let me say that again. A bend in the road is not the end of the road unless we fail to make the turn. Which brings me to why I'm talking about this on Graduate Sunday. I have never planned a message with with the graduates more specifically in mind. So I'm watching you, as if you're watching me. Jamie could not have uh, set me up better with the, the future church, the, the past church and the future church, and you guys being this link in the, in the middle. So I'm gonna drape that, whoops, I'm gonna drape that right there. I want to speak to you about your part in the future of the church. And I've, talked, I've called this your neighborhood, your church, because for the last two years, your neighborhood has been the, the theme, or the neighborhood has been the theme of your, your student ministry. And so when you, get, when you get to your ultimate neighborhood, wherever that is, then your church is going to be an important part of that. And then and the better your church, the better your neighborhood. So that's why I'm going to talk to you about your church and the neighborhood. And all of us have a part, as, as Jamie said, in the future of the church. So this is for all of us, but especially for these 16. Number one, join a church wherever you go. If you go off to college or whatever you do, join a church. Statistics say that 50% of you, that's eight, will drop out of church when you get to college, most of whom will not come back. Don't be a statistic. Buck the trend. Join a church when you get to where you're going. By the way, I heard about a bar and grill with, where lots of college students hung out with an emphasis on the bar, not the grill. And they, they hung out there. The, the owner of the bar and the grill put a sign in the window that said, when your parents are in town, bring them. We'll pretend we don't know you. <laughs> a local pastor, not to be outdone, put a sign out in front of the church that when your parents come to visit, bring them to church. We'll pretend we do know you. <laughs> when your parents go to wherever you are and you take them to church, I hope they know you. It is important. I hope you will... Uh, I hope you will be part of a church where you go. And then one day, come back here and join First Baptist because we need you back here. Number two, look for how you can serve the world through your church, not how happy your church will make you. 
Our American culture is very consumeristic, meaning we all always want to know what's in it for me. Is this place going to make me happy? Are they going to cater to my preferences? We're all guilty. I've been guilty. When we lived in Nigeria, gasoline, for example, was really hard to find. When we were traveling, if you can imagine this, we would carry, we had a little Peugeot station wagon carried two five-gallon or five-gallon containers of gasoline in the back of the station wagon. How dangerous was that? When we saw people on the side of the road with a barrel, we pulled over because they had gasoline, petrol in the barrel. And they'd put a, a funnel in the tank, put pantyhose as a, as, a, as a filter over the funnel, and pour, dip that bucket into the gas, in, into, the, into the barrel, and pour gasoline in our car, and we were glad to get it. If we did come upon a service station, the lines were almost always long. But a week ago Friday, I was driving to Talladega, and I pulled into a service station up next to the pump, and it didn't have one of those little machines on the pump that let me pay there. You know what I did? I drove off. I didn't have time to, I didn't have time to walk in and pay. I've been spoiled because I'm part of a consumeristic culture. And that consumeristic culture, if we're not careful, will invade the church. It's not about, this is not a club. It seems like a club. You know, you pay your dues, you get your services. This is not a club. It is, a, it is the house of God. It is, it is the family of faith. It is a covenant community. So when you look for a church, look for how you can serve the world through that church, not just for churches that will make you happy. Number three. Consider a vocational ministry in the church. Last weekend when I was down in Talladega, I was going to Shaco Springs when I was 16 years old. There I sensed a, a nudge from the creator of the universe to be, to be a vocational minister. You all have heard me say that I wanted to be a minister of music, couldn't hack it, so I had to become a pastor. But I, I knew that God was calling me to church ministry. I hope you'll consider that. And that's not something you just choose like engineering or medicine or law. But be open to a call. It has taken me to three states and two continents, and I've loved my life as a minister, still do. Be open to that. I said to our son, our oldest son, when he sensed a call to ministry, I don't want you to be naive, and I wouldn't want you to be naive. It's not all roses, and some churches are not as healthy as this one. But I believe you would be glad when you come to the end of your life, which seems like a long way from now, I know, that you, you would be glad if God calls you, if you'll just be open uh, to that. You've seen ministry modeled well here. So be open to a call to vocational ministry. Number four, and this is going to sound weird, support your church financially. But Travis, I, I have no money. I get it. I, I, I get that. But one day you will, I promise you. And now's the time when you... You kind of establish a pattern. And let me tell you something. Your grandparents were more faithful to the church in giving than your parents and your generation, if, if statistics are true. Now, I don't know what anybody around here gives, but the data is clear. With every generation, we give less to support the local church. We had a generations campaign still in it. We got a year left. We launched it two years ago. I don't know what anybody gave, but I can guarantee you that lots of the money pledged and now given were given by people who don't have kids. They're too old to have kids in that play area or those classrooms or that gathering space. 
But they believe in you and they believe in the future. And one day your children, yes, your children will play in that play area. Because people who are your grandparents' age gave. And I'll say this to all of us. The future of the church depends on our financial stewardship. And it's not just the future of the church. It's our own discipleship. Financial stewardship is a part of that trust, the faith required of us to give. Is part of our, our Christian discipleship. So, so you all, if you would begin now with whatever little you have to give to your local church, wherever you are, it'll set the course uh, for a good life of faith and faithfulness. Give to your local church. Five, please do your best to make sure everybody in your church, wherever your church, whatever your church ends up being, Please do your best to make sure everybody in your church does not look like you, whatever you look like. The first church in the Bible in the New Testament in Jerusalem was all, they were mainly all Jewish people, same ethnicity, who had turned to Jesus as Messiah. But in the second church in history, in Antioch, up in Antioch, it was immediately a, a multi-ethnic, multinational, multicultural church. And, and church as it spread across the Mediterranean world was a multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational church in places like Ephesus and in Colossae, where Colossians 3.11 says, Here in this church, there's no Gentile or Jew, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. What they said were, was, in this church you got Jews and Gentiles sitting together and barbarians and Scythians sitting together and slave and free sitting together. It doesn't matter, but we're all here. Alas, we have regressed, we have diverted, uh, uh, we have gone back to the first church where everybody looks alike, largely. And the segregated church has a limited shelf life. Now, I know it's complicated, and I know to get us together would require some hard conversations and give and take from everybody. But I've said it before. When my grandchildren are adults and they look for a church, and a church is either all white or all brown or all black, they're going to think that church got stuck somewhere in the previous century. So when you get to where you're going, do your best to make sure everybody doesn't look like you. In 1897, at a camp meeting, a Church of God camp meeting in Alabama, outdoor meeting, lots of people, large crowd had gathered in an evening. The large crowd of people, stand, all standing, were divided by a rope right down the middle. White people on one side, black people on the other side. The preacher that night was Lena Schaffner, a lady, again, 1897. She preached from Ephesians 2, verse 14, which says, Christ has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And the crowd was so moved by that sentiment of of Christ breaking down the wall of hostility that divides us. Somebody, somebody reached out and untied that rope that divided the white people from the black people. And the rope fell to the ground. 
And the white people and the black people began to intermingle. And when the sermon was over, they all came together uh, to the altar and they prayed. And it so upset the people of the area that they tried to, tried to interrupt things. The next day, tried to bomb some of the buildings, but the people there would not be deterred. I hope your generation will do better than mine. That you will reach out and you'll untie that rope that still divides us as, as people. Because the future church is not going to be a segregated church. And the quicker we get there, the better. And you all may be the ones to get us there. Make sure when you, when you land in a church, everybody doesn't look like you. Number last. <laughs> Above all, love the church. I know that churches have gotten a lot wrong and you'll hear a lot of people criticize the church, and some of it we deserve. But throughout the centuries, God has used the church for countless good. The people of the church are not perfect, but the Lord of the church is. We've gotten a lot of things wrong. We don't always get it right. At our worst, at our worst, we are a hypocritical, judgmental, ingrown, country clubbish collection of people who bear little resemblance to Jesus. But at our best, we reflect, if only in small ways, what the world would look like if, if God's will were done here as it is in heaven. We don't always get it right. But when we do, church is a beautiful thing. When we get it right, church is a place where people who are lonely and hurting find family. When we get it right, church is a place where the things that divide us pale in comparison to the things that unite us. We don't always get it right, but when we do, church is a place where people are haunted by the demons of addiction find freedom. We don't always get it right, but when we do, church is a place where people are inspired to go out and tackle the great moral and ethical problems in our world. We don't always get it right, but when we do, church is a beautiful thing. It's a place where people who are headed to a forever without God find Jesus and their eternal destiny changes. This is an imperfect people. And the place you're going to will be an imperfect people. But the church with a capital C and churches with a lowercase c are still the best hope for the world. So love the church. I know that our hope and our confidence ultimately is in Jesus. And I know that hope and confidence in the church is waning But it's not a stretch to say that, um, that, that you're our best hope and confidence uh, for the future of the church. Love it and, and, and give yourself to it. Hope and confidence are waning, but we must be careful. The Lord Jesus himself said that... Um, 
said that the gates of hell itself will not prevail against the church. A bend in the church is not the end of the church unless we, unless we fail to make the turn. We're at a bend. We are at a bend. But this is not, uh, this is not the end of the church. I was in Russia, in Bryansk, Russia, in the year 2000. Our interpreter, Misha, and I were on a trolley driving downtown Bryansk. When he's pointed at a church, a Russian Orthodox church, and he said, during communism, that church was a morgue. What? Yes, that was a morgue, he said. That's where they kept the bodies of dead people. He explained that under communism, Lenin, Stalin, and others, they destroyed lots of churches, but some they kept as museums, and some they desecrated like that one by making it a morgue. I found out later, and you can look this up on the, uh, the Google machine. You can look it up. But the, the church is called the, uh, the Ascension of the Savior Church, Bryansk, Russia. I was so fascinated by that that a couple of nights later, Tim Rush, another guy on our trip, and I went back with Misha to that, to that church. And we, people were, there were a lot of people gathered there. The, we met the lady. He introduced us to the lady who's the caretaker of the church, lived there, took care of the building. She told us the church's story. She said, yes, during communism, this was a morgue. This is where they kept dead people. Also, she said, that's not all. She said, um, they used to call this church the church of the Savior and the caskets. Because under communism, at the beginning of communism, so many of the members of this church were killed because of their faith. The church of the Savior and the caskets. But the night we were there, there were no caskets. There were no dead bodies. There was a choir of teenagers and young adults rehearsing, not for a martyr's funeral, but for the coming Sunday when people would come to worship the Lord Jesus. Now, I know that when, when Putin invaded Ukraine, some of us may have had our opinion of, of the Russian people tainted, but we got to remember, Russia's not just Putin, and there are lots of... This morning, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Russian Christians gathered in churches all across that land. Lenin thought he could kill the church, but he couldn't. Stalin thought he could kill the church, but he couldn't. Communism couldn't kill it. COVID can't kill it. Culture can't kill it. It may look different in days to come than in days that are behind us. But love the church. And don't forget that not only are you part of the future of the church, you're part of the best hope our world has. And so are you, and so are you, and so are you, and so are you, and you. 
I think the Lord Jesus would be awfully disappointed if we gave up on his church.